We're in Ecclesiastes, and today we're in chapter 3, Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, Ecclesiastes, of course, is written, humanly speaking, by Solomon. But uh, we haven't, uh, we've emphasized Solomon's authorship, but we haven't emphasized too much because of the, the context so far. Uh, but remind ourselves that uh, this is... Uh, an inspired book of the Bible, and this is God's message to us. And so God is speaking to us through this book. He's saying to us, you cannot find joy and purpose, peace and meaning in the things of this world, as good as they may be. You have to find your meaning, your purpose, your peace. You have to find it in me alone. And so God the Father is giving us, his children, good advice. And he wants us to have peace and meaning in our lives. Before we read a few verses in chapter 3, turn back over to chapter 1. Let's pick up the theme and the important uh, introduction, verses 1 through 3. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities. Vanity means emptiness, meaningless. Um... Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all is empty, all is worth nothing. And uh, that word vanity, you may remember, is in, the, in this book 38 times. Emptiness, meaningless. And, uh, and then he says, verse 3, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? That phrase, under the sun, that phrase is used 27 times, under heaven three times. So 30 times God gives us really the key to understanding this book. All of that emptiness, all of that meaningless is under the sun. That is, if you, if you just live as though God doesn't exist, if you just lived uh, an earthly life, then it's all vanity. It means nothing because we were created to have a relationship with God. Uh, our Father. And uh, that's what brings meaning to life. And so he uses that phrase over and over again, under the sun. I said to you last week that, um, you know, Solomon keeps saying one generation passes and, and, uh, and nobody remembers you, you know, under the sun. And I said to you last week that though my grandchildren know me well, their grandchildren will not know me, and they probably won't even know my name. That's something to think about, isn't it? We, we live, we die, and over a period of time, people forget we existed. Now, that's under the sun. That's true. That's under the sun. But think about uh, if you take God into account and you consider over the sun, you consider heaven one day in heaven, my grandchildren will get to introduce their grandchildren to their grandpa. And I'll get to introduce my mom and dad to all of them. And, and it's going to be a glorious thing. That is when you take God into account and not just live as though you're under the sun and uh, have that kind of attitude. So anyway, uh, there's, uh, again, there's some important words. Turn to chapter 3 now. It says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted or, um, or reap that which was 
planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Father, speak to us through your word, through this great passage, I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Pete Seeger, Pete Seeger wrote a song in the 1950s that he entitled, To Everything There Is a Season. It was based on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In 1965, the birds sang that same song, and they changed the name to Turn, Turn, Turn. They added that to the song, those three words. And uh, in that same year, before the year was out, it was number one in the USA on the pop charts. It started out as a folk song, and then when the birds sang it, it was kind of a folk-slash-pop song, and uh, became number one, based on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Turn, turn, turn. How many of you are familiar with that song? Oh, that's most of you, huh? For those of you who can't quite remember it, we're going to play just a little bit of it. Let's play that, just a little segment of that. I want you to listen to the words now and think about what we just read. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you remember now, don't you? Thank you. you. If you were familiar with that song, you probably knew it was based on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What you might not know, though, is that it uses the exact wording. It only changes two words, and they use really good synonyms for those two words. It's based on the King James Version of the Bible. And it's actually, it, it, it sings right through these, uh, uh, these 14 couplets that are in this poem in front of us. And it is the, uh, uh, it, it's, it's the only pop song that uh, ever used this much scripture. And it only adds, Seeger added one little phrase. He says at the end, I swear it's not too late. He's talking about world peace, of course. He's, I swear it's not too late, world peace. And uh, then he added the word turn, which is repeated several times through it. Other than that, it's the King James Version of the Bible, uh, and uh, they sang it. Seeger recognized the beauty of this poem that was written 3,000 years ago, and, uh, and it, it struck a chord in the hearts uh, of people, uh, and it became number one. So... This is a beautiful poem within a poem. The whole book's poetry. This is a poem within a, within a poem. And uh, it is quite beautiful. Before we look at those eight verses, we are going to look at those eight verses. Uh, 
we are, uh, first let me share a little bit of the context in which we find this poem. Look at, for instance, look at uh, uh, verse 14. He says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, and that, uh, that man should fear before him. So in this chapter, there's a strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God. What God does, man can't change it, uh, but uh, it is forever. But also, if you look at verse 12, I know that there is no good in them, or nothing better in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. So though it emphasizes God's sovereignty, it also emphasizes man's responsibility. We have a responsibility to do what's right, to do what's good, to rejoice uh, in God's blessings. And then one more verse, that is verse 11. We're kind of backing up towards those first eight verses. Verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Everything beautiful. The word beautiful there has the same idea as our, as our English word, beautiful, but it has a little more added to it. And the Hebrew word there means not only beautiful, but it, it, in, in the aesthetic sense, it means appropriate, fitting, right, proper. And so all of these things that he's mentioned up here, those half of them are negative, half of them are positive. There's 14 couplets or opposites. And, uh, uh, but none of them are sin. That's an important thing to, to get clear when you start. Everything here in these season and time is beautiful, beneficial, for good. Maybe not good at the moment, but for good in the long run. He can bring something beautiful out of ashes. We all know, of course, the New Testament teaching of Romans 8.28 he can work all things together for our good. And so that is the idea in this beauty here in verse 11. So even though he names 28 activities, he names nothing that is sin. Think about it. He doesn't, he doesn't name uh, adultery. He doesn't say, you know, there is a time and a season for adultery or for lying or for cheating, for robbing someone. Uh, or any kind of sin. There's not a season for that. And so every, all the seasons he mentions here have, in some sense, are good and can be made beautiful. With that in mind, let's go back now and look at verse 1. He says, For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. The word purpose... It means purpose, but it also, in the Hebrew, means an idea of activity. For every activity, uh, purpose with an activity, uh, there is a season and a time in life. You know, we all go through seasons of life. And uh, that's very evident to those of us who have been around a pretty good while. Uh, those seasons of life. Uh, but then notice the two words, time. Time is a is a, uh, a definite point in time. Season is a duration of time. And so there is a particular time and a duration of that time uh, for every activity under heaven. 
So then he begins now in verse 2 to name these 14 opposites, 14 twos, 14 couplets, 28 activities. And he says, a time to be born and a time to die. We don't choose when we are born, do we? Uh, that was all in God's sovereign uh, will and purpose. And the truth is, unless we interfere with God's plan by suicide, we cannot choose when we are going to die. Uh, some people are at the point of death and recover and live long lives after that. And some people die younger. But there is an appointed time for man to be born and for man to die. That's part of the cycle that, uh, uh, that Solomon keeps talking about that another generation comes in behind us and eventually our generation is forgotten, at least on earth, but not in heaven because we'll be in heaven together, the redeemed. And uh, what a glorious time that will be. So he says a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted or to reap that which is planted. You know, God has set the seasons. The people who read this first 3,000 years ago were farmers. And they knew there was, a, there was a season when you were supposed to plant. You couldn't just plant any time. You couldn't just plant when it was convenient for you. You had to plant during the right season, during the right time, of course, sometime in the spring. And, uh, and then you reaped your harvest. Again, you couldn't reap until it was ready. Uh, and you, you know, would reap that harvest sometime in the fall. And so though God is sovereign and when the best time to plant and the best time to reap and so forth, yet man can participate in that. Man has a responsibility to do the, the uh, sowing of the seed and the uh, reaping as well. Then verse 3 says, a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, I emphasized purposely... Uh, and one of the purposes was for this word here, that nothing in this context, in these eight verses, is sinful or wrong. And yet the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And here it says there's a time and a season to kill. And so what, first of all, the word in the Ten Commandments that says thou shalt not kill is a different word in the Greek from this particular word here. And you can tell from the context whether when the word kill or slain is used, whether it is murder or whether it is self-defense and so forth. Uh, here the idea is a justifiable killing. Uh, think about David. And David was a great warrior. And David killed a lot of soldiers, a lot of enemies, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. Kind of boggles our mind when we try to let that soak in. But it's true. There is a time to kill as frightful as that sounds. Somebody comes into your home with the intent of hurting your family, and you have the ability to do so, you might discharge a weapon. You might shoot someone. You might hit someone with a ball bat. You may have heard just this past week somebody broke in a home and there was an 11-year-old boy there and the 11-year-old boy found a machete and struck the man in the back of the head and the man had to go to the hospital. Uh, the boy was defending himself. So there is a time to kill in that sense uh, when it would be appropriate 
for the protection of your family and for the protection of life. It would be appropriate in the um, execution of criminals. The Bible talks about uh, execution, and that's not to be done by one person like revenge, but it's to be done by the government after a trial and so forth. Uh, capital punishment. That's a time to kill. Another thing is during the time of war, and that really fits David's situation. Now, war is going to be spoken of later, but then it's more about the war itself and the, and the nations. Here, the idea is the individual who kills. Um, and so at a time of war, people kill. You know, war is a terrible thing. I hear people sometimes say they're anti-war. Well, so am I. So is everybody else. Nobody likes war, or loves war, wants war. Sometimes it's necessary, though, to protect the innocent. But uh, war is a terrible thing. In America, sometimes we send our boys away from home and they may be killed themselves or maybe they kill someone else. But if it is in a war uh, as... As it was with David, there is a time uh, to kill. And then there's a time to heal. If somebody was to sneak into my home or, and, and with the purpose of hurting my family and I had to shoot someone, I would be devastated. You know, I wouldn't be, oh, well, it was his fault, it shouldn't have come into my home. No, I'd be devastated that I had to take a life. It would be a terrible, terrible thing. And I would need a time of healing from that trauma, from what I went through. We send our boys out of the country and sometimes they have to kill someone. And it takes time for healing. It takes a season of healing. And sometimes they don't get the help they need. And sometimes that healing doesn't, uh, doesn't come to them as it should and it's a sad and tragic thing. I think the statistic on suicide for veterans today is 20 suicides a day by veterans. And that's a great tragedy. I think anything we can do to help veterans and uh, those organizations that uh, help and aid veterans is a wonderful thing to do. Well, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Uh, Sometimes, you know, Karen likes HGTV. And uh, there's those guys on there, uh, when I'm watching it with her, those guys on there, they love demo day, they call it, you know. They go in with hammers and crowbars and they tear a house all to pieces. I don't, I don't like tearing stuff up myself. And when I watch that, I'm thinking, oh, man, I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to tear stuff up. But they love it, you know. That's a, that's a part of the process. Stuff has to be torn down before it can be rebuilt. So there's a time in life to tear down. Now, there are hundreds of applications for these uh, 28 activities. You ought to go home and see how many you can come up with on some of them. Uh, certainly, I can't uh, try to uh, give you uh, hundreds for, for each one, uh, but uh, you can see how that would apply in many, many ways, breaking down and building up. A time to weep. When life 
brings hardships, and trouble, broken hearts, broken families. There is a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh as well. I think God's people ought to little, do a little more of that, laughing. I think, as the, as the writer of Proverbs said, it is a medicine for the soul. And so there's a time to laugh, and there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance, to mourn. When we lose our loved ones, we mourn. And a time then to dance, to celebrate. Now, in the Bible, dancing is mentioned a lot, but in the Bible, dancing is not a man and a woman at a honky-tonk. All right, let's get that clear. The Hebrews, they danced, and you didn't dance with a partner. You danced to the Lord. It was an act of worship and praise, and you, and you got your whole body into it. And so there's a time to celebrate, to dance before the Lord, and to give Him great praise. And then there's a time to cast away uh, stones and a time to gather together, gather stones together. In the Holy Land, there's an awful lot of stones. Uh, when you go for a, a guided tour there, it's possible the tour guide will say something that's pretty common, and that is that God gave an angel stones to, uh, to spread all across the world. And when he got to Palestine, he tripped and dropped them all in Palestine. <laughs> it kind of looks that way. Stones. So there's a time to remove stones. You know, if you're going to plant a garden, you've got to get all the stones out of the garden. So there's a time to get rid of those stones. And then if you're going to build a house, what do you build a house out of in Palestine? You build it out of stones. What you have, not, not much wood. You don't build much out of wood. You build out of stones, at least in biblical days. And so uh, there's a time to gather those stones to build a house. There's a time to get rid of those stones so you can uh, plow your field. There's a season and a time. And you can, you can see, you're probably thinking already, many applications for gathering stones and uh, getting rid of stones. Um, and then the second part of verse 5 says, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Uh, the, in, in the Middle East, they hug a lot. And, you know, we hug around here because we're family, brothers and sisters. There's a time, the idea I think here is there is a time in which to make friends. But there is a season and a time when you want to be careful and you don't want to embrace someone and make a friend because of uh, who they are, what they've done, or something along that line. So be wise with your uh, relationships. And then he says, and a time to get and a time to lose. This is one, of the, one word that uh, uh, Seeger's song changed. This one word here, instead of get, it says gain, a time to gain and a time to lose. And we know that in life we accumulate things and Sometimes we lose things. We, uh, I don't mean you misplaced your ink pen. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the stock market may fall or you may have some great tragedy that's cost you a lot of money and you might lose, uh, you might lose things like that in the financial realm. There's a time when we gain and a time when we lose. There's a time to keep 
and the time to cast away. One, one commentary said regarding that phrase that uh, this phrase gives a biblical background for garage sales. <laughs> there's a time to, uh, there's a time to gain, uh, and then there's a time to uh, uh, to cast away. Time to keep, and then number seven, a time to rent and a time to sow. You know, in, in the in biblical days when when people were struck with terrible news, uh, the death of a loved one or something like that, they ripped their clothes as a sign of grief and sorrow and pain. They ripped their clothes. So there's times when we as God's people go through terrible pain and sorrow. We lose loved ones and, and our hearts break and we weep and we rent, we tear. But then it says, and there is a time to sow. Somewhere along the line, there will be a season of healing when we sew our clothes back together, symbolically meaning we, can, we have some healing and we can go on uh, after a terrible uh, situation. And then it says, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. The book of Proverbs says an awful lot about the tongue, about speaking, when to speak, when not to speak. Over and over again, it emphasizes a wise man knows when not to speak. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have to tell it uh, just because the opportunity came up. And so be wise in your speaking, Proverbs warns us. So there is a time to keep silent. And then there's a time to speak up. Speak up for what is good and right and for Christ. A time to keep silent and a time to speak and a time to love. Uh, of course, the New Testament elaborates on the idea of love, God loving us and us loving Him back. And then as believers, we're to love all of mankind in a special love for brothers and sisters in Christ. So, uh, love is an important part of the New Testament Christian's life. So there's a time to love. And then there's a time to hate. Why would believers hate? Uh, Dr. Miller, I don't I would guess two years ago maybe, Dr. Miller was preaching and one point of his outline was uh, something about believers should hate correctly or something like that. And uh, it's kind of a shocker when you hear that, you know, when somebody's preaching because we, we preach so much about love and rightfully so. But there's this time to hate. Now, that doesn't mean we hate people. But the scripture says we should hate what God hates and love what God loves. And so we hate the sin. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. There are some things that a nation should rise up and hate, like injustice and uh, the abuse of children. I don't know about you, but it, it causes rage in me to see or hear and read about children abused, neglected, sexually abused, physically abused, and so forth. It's a terrible, terrible thing. We should hate injustice. We should hate sin. And then a time of war. As I said before, we all hate war. We don't, nobody likes war, wants war, but sometimes war is necessary to protect the innocent, to protect people's freedom. And so war is a 
a terrible necessity. And there is a season when even a war can be beautiful because of what it accomplishes and what it does and the people it saves and the people that remain free. So there's a time of war and a time of peace. We all want peace, national peace, world peace. We, as believers, though, we know there's really not going to be any world peace until the Prince of Peace comes back. Uh, but when he comes back, he will set up a kingdom. There'll be peace there. Uh, but God wants us to have peace in our heart and soul as well. And that's what this seeking is about. If you, let's go back to the, the, whole th the theme of the book. Mankind's search for meaning, for peace, for purpose, for something worth living for. And he says, as far as under the sun is concerned, the things of this world, possessions, money, and so forth, prestige, achievements, all of that is worthless and useless for finding your peace, for finding your purpose. Now, if you have found your purpose in Christ, then uh, achievements can be a good thing. And uh, they may be in the will of God and so forth. So... Uh, he wants us to have peace in our heart and peace in our soul. Now, let's sum up some thoughts that are in the background of these eight verses. Look back at your screen for a moment. And uh, we have uh, finding peace, that is meaning, purpose, satisfaction in life. Here's some keys. Accept God's sovereignty and rest in His love. I think God's sovereignty is a very comforting doctrine and teaching. Some people find it uh, unedging and, uh, and, uh, uh, and distasteful that God ordains all the things in life and sets the seasons and the times and so forth. But I think it's a very comforting doctrine. We should just rest back in His love. Nothing can touch us but that which He allows. If He allows something bad to happen, then it was for a, a good beyond our understanding. So rest in his great love. And then the second thing is this. Participate in God's sovereignty. That is, we have a responsibility. We have to make decisions. Within the uh, ramifications of his sovereignty, we can make decisions and choose. So let's choose to live for the Lord. To live to please him. And then there's a third thing in this chapter. And by the way, we're going to come back and look at the second half of the chapter next week. But there's a third thing here, and that is view life and all that you have as God's gift and be thankful. Remember, there's seven conclusions through the book. And the conclusions encourage us to see the blessings of life as gifts from God and to be thankful. Think about what a different mindset we would have if we saw everything as a gift from God and we were thankful for all that He has given us. Truly thankful. We have a lot in, in the U.S. We have a lot to be thankful for. And then there is the fourth thing, and that is uh, uh, look to God alone for your peace. You can't find peace and satisfaction and meaning in the things of this world, but you can find them in God alone. So receive that peace. Remember Jesus said, My peace I give unto you. 
Not like the world gives. It's not the kind of peace the world has. This is, a, this is a peace that passes understanding in your soul, in your heart. And so take that peace from Him. Receive that peace from Him. In Seeger's song, remember I told you added one phrase, one word, turn, which is repeated a number of times. But one phrase, and this is the phrase, I swear it's not too late. It comes after peace. Peace. I swear it's not too late. What he, what he meant was it's not too late for world peace. But more to the point of God's Word is a peace in the heart of mankind. Peace with God and the peace of God. So I want to use his wording and say to you, it's not too late for you to find peace. You may say, well, I've been a believer for 10 years and I still really don't have any peace. Well, God is trying to teach us how to have peace and purpose in this book. He's, do, he's doing it much of the time by telling us the things that won't bring us peace, will not bring us peace. But the aim is that you and I can find peace. It's not too late. You may have been saved 50 years and you'd say, I still, I never have any peace. I'm always upset and worried and nervous and anxious and so forth. You can find peace. God wants you to have peace. Here are some keys right here. Keys to peace. Trust God and accept His sovereignty. Rest in His love. Participate by living a life that pleases Him. And, uh, and receive that Peace. Be thankful for all you have and receive the peace directly from Him. Don't look for peace and purpose in the things of this world, possessions and so forth. Look to the Lord alone. Sometimes we're going through hard times and we need God's peace and strength in those hard times. Uh, I've asked Kathleen to sing her song that she has written. Kathleen, come on up to the piano if you would please. Kathleen wrote a song, I think it was last year, on this same, uh, this same passage of Scripture. And her title is, In Its Time. And some of the words are, You make everything beautiful in its time. And then it says, Until then, give me peace, O God. Give me strength, Oh God. And so sometimes the seasons of life are difficult and hard, and though God may bring some, something beautiful out of it, the, uh, that time is particularly hard. We need to cry out to the Lord for His peace and His strength. This is a beautiful song, and Kathleen's going to sing it for us. Kathleen? I'm playing guitar. Oh, you're playing guitar. Okay. Very good.
Kathleen's going to sing the next part of that song, and you can sing it along with her if you'd like. The words are on the screen. Sing it to the Lord. Sing it in your heart. This, this song is written to the Lord. That makes it a hymn, biblically speaking. And uh, so sing it to the Lord in your heart. If you want to sing it out loud, sing it with her. If you'd like to come for prayer, we invite you to come. Let's sing. Weeping and sowing Destruction and building Loving and leaving Searching and ceasing There's a time for it all You make everything beautiful And it's time Until then Sing it to the Lord now Peace, O oh God. Give me strength, O oh God. Help me see you're in control. I want you. Thank you, Kathleen. Beautiful, beautiful. Bow your heads for just one second. And if today you would say, Pastor, as we close in prayer, pray for me. I need God's peace. I'm going through a difficult time. I need his peace and his strength. And I need to see again that he is in control of all of life. And I need to rest in that truth and in his love. If that's your prayer this morning, would you slip your hand up? All over the building, anyone? Yes, many hands. God bless you, each one. God bless you. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the truth of this beautiful chapter, beautiful words. And uh, I pray that you'll teach us to find our peace in you, to find our strength in you, and to rest in your sovereign care. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day to you as you leave. Oh, don't leave yet. As you leave, we're going to give you ink pens, all the fathers. But also, if you would like to...
give an offering for, uh, uh, well, my mind just went blank. Either, yeah, Dexter Kirby. Thank you, Miss Karen. I knew either Karen or Veda one would get it. Uh, Dexter was here this past Wednesday, and we took an offering. Some of you said you didn't have your bill fo or your uh, uh, your checkbook with you, and so if you would like to give to Dexter, this would be for his building project. He's got building project. They feed the hungry. I mean, it was a tremendous presentation this past Wednesday night. If you'd like to help. Uh, with the ministry of Dexter Kirby. We've been supporting Dexter for about 11 years. He's been on the mission field 10 years. Uh, and uh, so if you'd like to help, I'm trying to, I can't, St. Vincent is where he's at. So if you'd like to help with that, the ushers will have plates as you leave. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy your family. <laughs>